three, two, one. You are listening to the History and Music Podcast. We come to you from the tale of a great comet. Congratulations. Kick back, enjoy some cookies, drink some Kool-Aid. I am your host, Fee, and I'm joined by Foe and Fum. Uh, buckle up, lace up your Nikes, and get ready for the ride. All right. Um, no, not really. I'm Scott, um, and I'm joined by Sean and Giordano. How's I'm it going, actually, guys? I'm- I'm good. I'm actually behind Haley's comment, though. Are we, are we on Hailbop? That's my bad. Typo. <laughs> <laughs> you, you caught the wrong, uh, the wrong comment. Cut the wrong, cut the wrong comment. Dang it. The wrong spaceship. <laughs> so. But yeah, Sean and I are privileged to, uh, to introduce the man in the third chair here, Mr. Giordano uh, of Mambo Wizard fame. He's, he's a very special guest here. So um, everyone give him a warm welcome. Hello. Hey, welcome! How's it Happy going? to be here. Happy to join you tonight on the craft <laughs> and uh, be a crew member with you in this yes. great voyage of life. Hopefully, we can leave our bodily containers behind and ascend I'm to hoping. the next the next level. Yeah, <laughs> the next evolutionary level above human. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you caught that. We'll talk about that later yeah. in the show. Yeah, but this will this will all make sense in about uh, so twenty weird. minutes. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe we'll yeah. keep that for just for us. That's just for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's just for us. Um, Giordano, welcome, man. Uh, so we're glad to have you on the show. You you picked the song for for tonight's episode, and so you're you're it, man. You're in the hot seat. So uh, just for those that don't already know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, hello. Um, my name is Giordano. I am uh, um, a Twitter. Um, Micro niche celebrity? No, just kidding. I, <laughs> That's actually I, uh, true. Yeah, I am just a, a random guy. I am uh, broadcasting from live from Montana right now, in the middle of nowhere in Montana. But a little bit about myself. Uh, my name is actually Giordano. I, I I go after the the Giordano Bruno. I thought I would like try to be kind of cheeky or uh, you know cute by making my sort of half anonymous screen name on Twitter be Giordano Lives. I'm like, well, I'm just going to use my real name. No one knows that that's my actual real name. And then it turns out that like, yeah, like 50 other guys had kind of the same idea to use the philosopher Giordano Bruno. So, but that is actually, I am the real Giordano. So this is like the real original one. Um, well, I'm glad we're, we're catching Giordano Bruno in his, in his happy arc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is like my, yeah. You know, this is like the, uh, um, yeah, the, uh, the ending that, the, that they didn't want you to know about. So, and actually, oh, wow, this is actually getting kind of cool because Giordano Bruno talking about aliens and stuff, but we'll talk about that later. Anyway. Uh, We've reached new levels of esoterica we didn't think were possible. Yeah, I mean, this is just like, <laughs> wow. So anyway, yeah, my name is Giordano. I, um, uh, just a little bit about me. I, I was born in California to uh, an American father and an Italian mother. Um, my father uh, actually met my mother in Italy. She was born and raised there uh, when he was serving as a missionary there. He was a missionary to Southern Italy, and he met her there in the late 70s. And I believe, this, as the story goes, as uh, part of my family lore, is that she went up to him and uh, saw him at church, went up to him and, and said something like, I, I like received some revelation or something that I know that we're meant to be together. I'm supposed to marry you. And so then my dad put in, okay, I need to be transferred out of here as quickly as possible. <laughs> and was like transferred to the other side of the mission. And then, um, but two years later, went back and uh, married her. 
And then they had me, and I, I actually spent my first years in California and uh, grew up there and then moved out to Montana. And um, I, uh, I'm actually an, an English teacher as, uh, for high school, and, um, and I also published uh, my first uh, great classic novel, great American novel, The Mambo Wizard, Breakfast is Served. So the, fir- the first of many, right? It's book one of, of a 12-part series. Oh yes, it's gonna be like it's gonna make like Robert Jordan Wheel of Time look like uh, the Cat in the Hat. Yeah, okay, yeah Br- Br- Brandon Sanderson, eat your heart out. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Come at me. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was uh, recently listed as number three hundred and seventy in the top uh, young adult sci-fi novels that feature aliens on Amazon. Okay, the number okay. one in that okay. is Ender's Game. So but who's counting, right? <laughs> Coming for you, Orson Scott Card. So, yeah. <laughs> it's coming for your title. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you're number one in um, wizards that perform breakfast magic, though. I think. Yeah, I actually, think yeah, it's, it's actually a micro. It's a micro category. Uh, number one in young adult novels about breakfast magic and orphaned wizards who make friends with cat aliens. <laughs> so. so it's doing some numbers. So, so I, I I bought the book. I have it with me. But I've yet to uh, crack it open, so you're intriguing me with all of these. Well, I mean, I mean, if that doesn't get you, I feel like you know the the big barrier to entry was me naming it the Mambo Wizard. Breakfast is served. I feel like if you can overcome that hurdle, you're good. So your publisher, your publisher was okay with that title. Oh yes, they you're highly encouraged it. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, as I we'll, we'll we'll talk about that later. Um, okay, but so cool, man. Well, it's good to have you on the show now. What as far as like musically, mm. what do you what do you what's your what's your musical genre of choice or genres? I um I grew up loving music. It's hard, and I like I, I was thinking about this when you had first posed the question. It's such a hard question to answer, and I know it's like the most cliched thing in the world to say. Oh, I listen to a little bit of everything because I remember growing up, people would always say that, and then you would ask them, "Oh, okay, so like." <laughs> You listen to a little bit of everything, so okay, so you're like you're into Husker Du or uh, <laughs> I don't know, like the Scorpions, and 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 I don't know, like I would just name off, and like I know that they would not actually into a little bit of everything, but I actually really think that I am. Although my first love of my youth would probably be what we would call um, classic rock or classic rock radio, dad rock. Um, mm-hmm. All of that '70s and '80s rock. My father, when I was growing up, he um, did the Columbia house um, CD. Uh, you get like a CD every month from their membership. My and, mom uh, did that too. BMG would do that. And you get the first 12 for one penny and he would do that. And then I think oftentimes he would tell me like he would forget to even order one. So they would just send you one randomly based on what they think you would like. <laughs> and he didn't even like these albums, but I think I would just collect everything. Like every, old classic rock album. Um, I loved all that stuff. And so that was my first love. But I feel like I my, my like the chances of that, like of a good result from that would be bad. <laughs> like for me would not be, not be like likely. I'd be getting CDs like KD Lang. I don't even, who is this? <laughs> I'm not going to listen to that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder what algorithm they're using there. Are yeah. they using like Pandora's uh, pre-algorithm? It's yeah. going to be whatever CD they're trying to dump. You know, oh, we got a bunch of, you know, CDs of, Let's yeah, yeah, whatever true. and just send it to yeah, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, I remember what was one. It was like um, 
Yeah, one because like my dad, he would get all of the uh, the the greatest hits compilations. So we had like the you know Queen and Led Zeppelin and and I don't know Black Sabbath and, and stuff like that. And then one day uh, he got in the mail Jimmy Buffett, like the Jimmy Buffett's greatest hits. And he was like, I don't even know. I don't I don't care about this. Don't want this. But I actually listened to it, although I actually didn't really care for it either. But, <laughs> so. Not a fan of Margarita. I gave it a shot. Yeah. So hmm. that's cool, man. Yeah, um, yeah. And I heard, I heard that sometimes you um, that you moonlight as a radio DJ. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> for a long time, I would do uh, this little. There's a little station in town, like a public radio station, and then they would have like volunteers. And, and people come on and, and do their own shows. And so for years, I did a show called Middle Earth Radio. And it would just be me coming on and playing my just the weirdest, just whatever I felt like, playlists of bizarre stuff. And then just talking to whoever. Blowing all the normies' minds with your uh, crazy oh, yeah. playlists. Right. I like to imagine because uh, the, the signal carries out pretty far because there's not a lot of interference out where I'm at. And so you could be like on the interstate in the middle of nowhere. Um, just driving through Montana and you could, you know, perhaps pick it up. And, you know, that was like my, my fantasy that I was broadcasting out to the, to the stars and uh, <laughs> to the middle of nowhere. And, you know, there you guys can enjoy some deep cuts of, uh, they might be giants or something. <laughs> <laughs> Every song they've written is deep cuts except for, uh, Constantinople. <laughs> <Yeah>. True. <laughs> no one knows any other songs by them. Maybe they do, but. They yeah. seem. Oh, they seem to have a very dedicated fan base. I've noticed they might be. Oh uh, yeah, that's very true. Very um, true. But what, what's funny is, is, is the person you're describing, Giordano, sounds like, like, like the the radio folks, especially on the local radio, is like it's basically a competition for who's the most pretentious about what they listen to. And it's like, <laughs> oh, I listen to music that doesn't even exist yet, you know. And that's, that's always that's always the running joke. And it's like, you know what? I'll be honest, man. This isn't even good. It's just nobody's heard of it. <laughs> You know? There's a reason why. There's, There's a, a reason, reason why no one's heard of this. I don't know what it is with like pretentious music people or even audiophiles. There, there's a there's a subgroup of them. I don't see them as much these days, but like back in the days in the era of Pitchfork, if you're familiar with like Pitchfork uh, music Pitchfork, yeah. online, that were yeah were like uh, the the low quality of the recording. It was a feature, and they they loved like just things that were crappily recorded or things that sounded terrible and uh, you know, that just made it more authentic and they, they love that stuff. I know. I you're can see about, that. Well, they call it lo-fi now. Like you can actually right. do that nowadays, like in modern, in the modern era, they're like recording stuff like with just crappy equipment on purpose to kind of get that unpolished yeah, yeah. sound. But I know what you're talking about. I remember in high school, there was this girl I was kind of dating and she really liked newfound glory, which we talk about, we talk about oh. them like every episode. So they're not, they're not even like a, they're not even like a small <laughs> band at all, but back then they kind of were. And I remember her saying like, she hated when they got popular, when they signed onto a major record label because their song, their sound was so much more polished. Yeah. And so she'd go back and listen to like these like deep tracks they were they put out on like some compilation CD, and it's like, see, you can tell. Look, his voice is like cracking because he hasn't been doing vocal warm ups, and like the guitars are like a lot more sloppy. I'm like, it's just crappier music. <laughs> What's the point of this? <laughs> you can yeah. pretend you're there or something. Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, but no, I get it. I get that that uh, feeling. Cause, cause I do the same thing with, with the other band we always bring up Blink-182 and, uh, and less than Jake, like their older stuff, like, cause especially with, with punk, I think it, it fits the genre better to be a little more, uh, yes. grungy that way. It's a little rough around the edges. Yeah. Be more raw. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Raw for sure. 
Very for sure. True. We got to get Adam Eberts on here because he's supposedly the the punk rock master, and he's always oh. judging us on the music we're using, but or singing. <laughs> but I don't know. We, we've called him out enough on this podcast. I don't think he listens to us, so no. <laughs> he'll, never, he'll never hear hear this. But well, he cool, did man. join awesome. the he did join the uh, Bob Deduck chat though, so so we can mm-hmm. force him to listen to the songs we want him to listen to. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then here is ridicule. Um, well, that's awesome. And so, Giordano, I did have a question I was going to ask before the show. But so you mentioned that your um, your your dad served in Italy. Your mom's Italian. Did you grow up speaking Italian? Actually, yes, I did. In my home, we were bilingual. We spoke Italian and English. Um, I mean, mostly out of necessity. My mom didn't even know English. I was uh, I was like their honeymoon baby. I was born like right after, and um, my mom just was new to the States and, um, she learned English with me. So they always spoke Italian together and we spoke Italian in the home for a long time. Um, it kind of eventually it did drop off and she kind of embraced more English. Although now in their older age, uh, they've gone back to speaking a lot more Italian. So, so yeah, I can watch Italian movies without the subtitles. People that's think cool, that's man. really cool. That is cool. It's cool <laughs> it was, because a, it's not... it was a cool thing for girls too, like in dating. Oh, yeah. And stuff. yeah, they love it. Italian. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, because it's a bilingual language that not everyone is bilingual. Because in the U.S., like everyone and their mom speaks Spanish. But how, how many right. people do you know that speak like actual straight up Italian? You know, right, not very right. many anymore. Maybe in like the twenties in New York, but not anymore. Yeah, you know, De- definitely not out west. Maybe, yeah, maybe definitely East not in Montana. <laughs> No, in Montana, no, it's not a, it's like a rare thing. I mean, yeah, we don't like, we don't really, and out here, everyone, this is, my mom was always annoyed by this, but everyone's always pronounces it um, Italian. It's like, oh, you're a real Italian. You speak Italian out here. And my mother's like, it's Italian, Italian. It's not, I'm not from Italy. (laughs) That's That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, I, with the, and Italians, you know, and I think actually think this is this is a part of the heritage because I think Italians love that '80s synth sound. Like mm-hmm. the Italians love that stuff. Like um, if you ever, if you ever, um, uh, when I was a kid, uh, I would listen to like uh, the Queen, and I noticed that. And this is not just Queen. A lot of bands did this. A lot of those '70s rock bands, when they got into the '80s, they started adding all these synthesizer noises and sounds and stuff. And I think a lot of like the the true rock fans were were turned off by the sound, and they're like, "No, we want real rock. We want real music." But like Europeans and like Germans and Italians, like they love all that like really cheesy stuff. Oh, that's yeah. just how they are. Yeah. So, so that's that's in your, that's in your blood. Yeah. <laughs> in your blood, man. Can't get away yeah. from it. That's awesome. So I was yeah. going to ask as well. So you mentioned your dad served. Where, where did your dad serve in Italy? Can you disclose that without dad mission doxing? <laughs> yeah, he served in Catania. It was the Italy Catania mission, although that I do not believe that mission exists anymore. And that would be like the southern tip of the boot um, and like the heel of the boot and Sicily. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. I, I had a friend from high school that served in Milan. And oh. when he came back, I just remember like not only did he speak Italian, but all of a sudden he got like way into fashion. Like he was just like <laughs> dressing up every chance he got, wearing a suit to work when you didn't need to wear a suit to work. He was just all about fashion after that. It's all—it's always the super tight suits, the yeah. um, shoe, shoes with the pointy toes, and all that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Talking with his hands a lot. Yeah, um, I was going to say drinking little cappuccinos, but he wouldn't do that. So yeah, 
Oh, he might know. Uh, he left the church. He might know. So, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Milan. Yeah, it's a lot of fashion industry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, without uh, it's good to have you on here, man. Thanks for agreeing to come on the show. And and like we were saying earlier, Scott may not be a fan of this type of music. I am unironically <laughs> a fan, and I know my wife is as well because we like we like new wave and definitely Depeche Mode vibes with this with this song. Yes. Yes. Um, so the song is Dot in the Sky by Drab Majesty. And as I usually do, I, I did a little bit of, of research on the actual band itself. But before we get there, Jordan, I want you to kind of give us just a, a brief like rundown of you know how you encountered this song, been listening to these guys for a while, or what's your what's your history personally with this song? And it's yeah. um like most music that I I mean a, a big chunk of my musical collection, I just found them from uh i observed their album cover for uh the demonstration is the name of the album and i saw the album cover online and i just sort of i always that's it always piques my interest interesting album covers and Mm. um I, i love album art and all that stuff and so i saw the album cover i'm like this looks weird this looks interesting what is this and uh i think they probably looked it up on youtube or something and uh, I was just like instantly blown away, just like whoa, this is so cool! And it was just, uh, yeah, I love all that new wave stuff. I love the Cure, Depeche Mode, and Erasure, and uh, New Order, and all that kind of stuff. Like I love the Cars, I love all that stuff. And so when I heard it, I was blown away. And then, as you, I, I think you had mentioned without actually knowing what the topic of the music is, you, you wouldn't necessarily guess, oh, this is about, this is a concept album about a cult. But then when I kind of, oh, what, what was it that I heard that made me, there was a song later on the album that says a line that um, was, that, that, that tripped me up, that, that tipped me off that uh, this is about the Heaven's Gate cult. And I remember the, and the Heaven's Gate cult from, from years before and I kind of have, and I can share this a little bit later too, but um, I kind of had like a, a, a mental history with them. And so then I, I loved it even more. So I just really like the album. It's not, it's relatively new. I don't remember what year it came out. Um, 2017 looks like. Okay, 2017. Actually, January 20th of 2017. So we're coming up on the anniversary of this All right, album. so yeah, perfect, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, so like for me, like once you get a certain age, things that are like five, six years old are still like new. Uh, quote unquote, and I remember like when I, when I was a teenager, something from you know five or six years prior was ancient, um, but now this is still like yeah, it could be ten years old. Like oh yeah, it's that new album. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I found it. Yeah, that's I think cool, that's a, that's probably the best way to uh, find out that it's a concept album too. Is because if you go into it knowing, kind of like how Sean and I, uh, I can't speak for Sean, but definitely for me, how I you. Uh, suggested it i knew kind of going in what was going to happen but from your perspective that i think that's a it's a great way to to kind of uh yeah make it mean more or like imprint more on you because you like this you like the music first and then oh snap this is like then you then you yeah. you revisit the song multiple times to, tr- to try and figure out what all the things mean so yeah yeah that's kind of what this this podcast is all about. So that's it fits perfectly. That's all. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of interesting too because, um, like the 
the band, like again, Drab Majesty is the name of the band. Um, and it's, it's actually just kind of one guy. Well, technically two guys, but basically just one guy. And the guy is, um, I, I forgot his name, something, Cl- Andrew Klinko. It's Andrew Klinko is his name. He's mm-hmm. from Los Angeles. And he's actually a drummer of another band. They're kind of like an experimental kind of prog rock type of band called Marriages. And, mm-hmm. um, and he was the drummer for that band. And then all of a sudden he starts like teaching himself to play guitar, teaching himself to do synth stuff. And he started writing all these songs that didn't sound like songs for his other band. So he, he kind of took on this moniker of this androgynous, like man, woman thing. <laughs> and he gave himself the name Deb Demure or Deb Demure and started this band called Drab Majesty, which I think is way more popular than his actual original band now. Um, they got way more plays on Spotify, I believe. So he starts releasing all these songs, like this kind of new synthwave type of stuff. And then he brought on another guy to play keyboards who calls himself Mona D. And so they both have these like kind of androgynous, you know, um, neither man nor woman type type personas. And they wear a lot of like the makeup and the wigs and the, you know, kind of the whole get up when they, when they do their, uh, their shows. But um, so this album that this is from is called The Demonstration. And it's a concept album, like like we were all saying. And the concept album is quite literally about like the Heaven's Gate thing. And I'm assuming most of our listeners will know what Heaven's Gate is. If not, you will hopefully by the end of the show. But th- but this song, Dot in the Sky, is technically the first song from the album. There's a little intro and then it goes into this. But this is the first song from that album. So it kind of sets the stage for the rest of the album and the rest of this concept thing this guy's doing. And um, I guess his idea is he likes writing synthwave stuff about sad, depressing things. And so he calls it tragic wave. That's what he refers <laughs> to his, his music as. That's his his genre. But yeah, I had never heard of this guy before or, or Drab Majesty at all. But I, I'm, I'm definitely like, you know, it's, it's doing it for me when I'm listening to it um, as far as like the style of the sound. And when you listen to the words, we were talking about this earlier. When you listen to the words, you wouldn't know what this was about unless you knew that this was a concept about heaven's gate, then it's like, Oh, okay. That line means this, that line means it makes sense now. But if yeah. I just heard it, it's like, Oh, that sounds kind of ethereal, ethereal and artistic, you know, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't peg it to anything specific. But other than that, um, we've been chatting for a while here doing intros and stuff. Should we, should we kind of get into the lyrics or do we need to do any kind of background on, on heaven's gate? So some of this stuff makes sense. What, what do you guys think? Yeah. The, the- yeah, because we were kind of talking before the the lyrics. While there are a lot of them, they're not they're not super like uh, direct or like specific. Some yeah. Specific. It's yeah. more artistic, um, and so it, it's kind of hard to pull a lot out of them. So, yeah, we, we can. Uh, yeah, let's do a little primer on what Heaven's Gate yeah, is. Yeah. Let's do that. I okay. think um, that'd be good because it the first song is about the beginning of heaven's gate anyway. It's not about the beginning of heaven's gate. It's about the beginning of the end of heaven's gate, but basically <laughs> in, uh, and I can, I can share a little bit about uh, the comet hail bop, which Go is uh, the comet hail bop. And I, I didn't even, I didn't do a ton of research about this. I'm mostly pulling from my own personal history of like my memories of it. I was, I heard about this comet when I was, I think 15 or 16 we heard about it on the news that it was approaching the earth. And um, this was supposedly this huge comet, the size of Texas or bigger or something like that, that uh, was discovered by two astronomers on the same day, Alan Hale and Thomas Bopp. 
and but like separately though, right? They weren't working together. Separate. I don't think. No, yeah. no, they were not. No, it was just like coincidentally oh. they just they both discovered it on the same day and called it in or something like that. So they shared the name. And um, Alan Hale, also the name of the actor from the Gilligan's Island, but um, but not different, the- different guy, different guy though. <laughs> <laughs> but not that guy. So they called it in. They named it Hale Bop, and then it passed by the Earth, as I recall, in the early winter months of 1997. And uh, I recall being in Montana. I still, I had moved from California relatively recently at that time in 1997. I mean, it was four years prior or whatever. But I remember the one thing about Montana moving there was they called it big sky country. And the skies compared to California really did seem immense and uh, majestic. And there wasn't as much light pollution. There wasn't as much, obviously, buildings or anything in the way. And so you could really see the stars at night and you could really see the sky really beautifully. And I, and I think from what I've read that hail bop could be seen particularly well from the from where we were at i don't know from our latitude or or is it longitude i don't remember from from where we're at in montana so it was passing by the earth we saw it up in the sky and then immediately uh soon after that or or, because it was in it hung in the sky for for actually months i think but it was extremely visible for at least a week or so um as i recall and you would see it up there at night. And then one day on the news, they reported that a bunch of people in California, 39 people had committed suicide uh, because of the passing of this comet, allegedly. And they said, uh, I mean, there was all these like reports and stuff about these people that had committed suicide. And they committed suicide because they thought that there was aliens that had come to pick up their spirits and take them aboard their UFO that was uh, flying behind the comet. And I just remember, like, I was so blown away by this story. Like, 16-year-old Giordano, this was very extremely captivating to me, this whole entire thing. Because I liked sci-fi, and I liked all this weird stuff, and I was interested in cults um, generally. So, yeah, the whole thing blew me away. And so, Dot in the Sky, as the song starts off and as the album starts off, it's just describing uh, the appearance of this dot in the sky of, of this of this comet in the sky but also the dot i sub, i think is making a reference to in forums and like in usenet groups on the early internet in 1997 people had pointed out that there was like a dot that could be seen in the in the comet's tail and people were speculating that it was a ufo so i think that also might be kind of a veiled reference to you know the dot in the sky right Right, that was kind of a lot, but that was like the doesn't really explain anything about Heaven's Gate as a cult. But that's kind of what the the beginning of the song. Yeah, that's you, kind you, of you spoiled a little bit the the story of Heaven's Gate, but that's fine. Spoiler alert: everybody dies. Spoiler alert: they die. All right, let's wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> no, but the story yeah, we, the story starts like twenty years before, um, in the seventies when the when the cult started. Um, but uh. Yeah, well, what's, and what's crazy is I, I didn't actually know this until researching for this show. But Comet Hale-Bopp—they're—they're—they're they're not even—I—I I thought they were scientists. They're like amateur scientists that just mm. discovered it, like in their backyards with their little, you know, telescopes uh, when they discovered it. And it was discovered in '95, which is just mm-hmm. two years prior to this happening. But I guess for '97, that was like the brightest object in the sky, other than the sun, for that year. So it is it, it, like in '97, it was a very momentous thing, like this massive beautiful bright comet going through the sky that you almost anyone could see for you know a period of time and 
I don't even know if it's going to make another trip around or not. No, it might have been I, just I, I recall done, right? they said when I was a teenager that that was that was it. Like it was coming around the Earth once every seven thousand years or something. Like it was. I, I remember at least. Who knows if this is even accurate? But I just remember them saying it would be literally thousands of years before it passed yeah. close to. Yeah, well, the Marshall Applewhite will probably be with it next time it comes by. Right. You know, <laughs> or th there'll be a new iteration or a new reincarnation of yeah whatever. of the yeah. alien that was controlling Marshall Applewhite's body. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, alien, sure. <laughs> Dude, they're, they're mental gymnastics, and the way the way they convince people is like kind of ingenious. Um, I mean, oh, yeah. cult, cults yeah. have been doing this type of thing forever. Cult leaders have been using this type of stuff, but he obviously. I don't know if he believed it, but we, we can get into it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So should we, should we kind of expound a little bit more on heaven's gate itself? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cause I went down a bit of a rabbit hole. Yeah, so on yeah. this. There, there's a, there's and, another as, podcast that that's like eight episodes long. I'm like, like four or five into it that it's, okay. it's really interesting, but anyway. oh, yeah. Just about heaven's gate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, well, well go ahead. I, uh, what I know about heaven's gate is I, I, I read a book about them by Benjamin Zeller, I believe his name was. Um, he's quoted a lot about these guys because he's done like extensive research on them. Yes, yes. I read his book. I, I did not think it was that great of a book, to be honest. I kind of thought it sucked. <laughs> but uh, but he, he had... Because all I wanted to learn about was Heaven's Gate, and Benjamin Zeller keeps going off on trying to classify them as a religion or a cult or a new religious movement. And like, I, I honestly, I, like, I don't he's care. He's more of an academic. That. It sounds like he's right. Right. I just, I just want to know like the details of what happened. I don't care about how you classify it. It doesn't matter to me at all. <laughs> anyway, uh, from what I was reading in the book and um, just like memories of stuff and, and reading the awesome Wikipedia page on it, <laughs> we have those two um, uh, Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. And they were, two sort of uh, new age interested people in the 1970s. They met each other. Uh, there's a lot of ambiguity over exactly how they did meet because, I mean, we honestly don't know because we just have the words of, of them and they kind of had different stories on how they met. But they supposedly met in a hospital. Uh, they became platonic friends. And uh, I believe that Bonnie told Marshall that uh, she told she was... Was she married? Um, yeah, she was married with kids. She didn't, she had children. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, that she told him that their meeting had been foretold by extraterrestrials, like that that aliens had foretold their meeting and that they were like meant to meet each other. Yeah, she was and, she was really into reading star charts for people and stuff, and she read his and his. Oh, and she okay. said she said his was like really wild and like unique, and and it said that they were meant to to do something big together. Or something, mm -hmm. and they, they both came from kind of failed marriages. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and they're both Texans as well. Yeah. Oh. And yeah. they the big thing that they like initially that their beliefs coalesced around was the prophecy given in the Book of Revelation about the two elders who would be killed on the streets and then uh, resurrected three days later, and that. Marshall and Bonnie basically thought that this was referring to them, that this was their destiny yep. and that this was like going to be something that happened to them and that they'd be taken up by extraterrestrials after they were killed and that they called this the demonstration. And they they actually referred to themselves as the two. 
referring to oh, it. that's right as the two yeah mm -hmm. yeah yes. Yeah, well, they, they, they kind of went through a series of nicknames they'd call each other. But yeah, it, it's, that's exactly right. And Bo Bonnie Nettles is interesting because she's like a nurse. She's like grew up Baptist, but she's really like studying theosophy or whatever that is. And she's really into that. And somehow in a hospital, we don't know how, she meets this guy named Marshall Applewhite, who himself is also like a Christian of sorts that grew up in Texas, who also had a failed marriage. He was married, had two kids. Um, and, and he actually had, I believe, a degree in music or in theater or something like that. So he actually did have some education, but he, uh, he kept getting fired from jobs because he kept having affairs with his male students. <laughs> and then he came, then he came out to his parents and told them that he was gay. His dad rejected him. And that oh, sort of like sets the stage for him meeting Bonnie Nettles. They don't have any kind of a relationship. Apparently it's a hundred percent platonic, but they do love each other. It's just kind of this sort of nebulous, weird relationship they have. She leaves her husband, he leaves his wife, and they basically live together, kind of begging for change, traveling the world, not traveling the world, traveling the, the United States, like giving presentations on whatever their religious fancy was at the time, you know, whatever interpretation they have from the Book of Revelation for that day. And they, they'd have like a couple converts here or there. People would like leave and sell all their stuff and follow them, then regret it and then leave. You know, and so they they, they kind of had this movement. And this all started like in the in like the early to mid seventies mm -hmm. that they were doing this, and they basically kind of just lived as basically hobos. You know, kind of like traveling traveling hobos. And I think in the seventies in particular, this was, I mean, probably not common, but um, a little more common than it would be today, right? To to live the hippie life and and just leave, you know, travel. Yeah, that's what I, I in the book they talked about. Walter Cronkite doing a story that brought a lot of attention to them because uh, they were doing a story on like all of a sudden there was like I don't know 60 missing people out west who nobody knew what happened to these people and it was just people who just packed up and left and left to either join this particular new age movement or hippie movement and they just like you said they just sort of traveled around the western United States camping having like these new age sort of Christian revival meetings where they would just talk about just all sorts of new age stuff like astral travel and aliens, UFOs and interpretations of the book of revelation and stuff like that. And uh, I, one of the fascinating things in the book that I loved was the, the guy was analyzing like the, the two would go to a town, try to recruit people. A lot of times it had very little to no success actually recruiting anyone. But then when they did recruit people, they would go to like a new town, but not keep in touch with the people that they recruited. And this is like the seventies. So you had no internet, no, uh, you had just like pay phones. And so they would take out ads in local newspapers to let their followers know where they were off to next. And that would be it. Like they would have like a one ad in one paper for one day. And if you missed it, then you were on your own and you had to just sort of like continue the group by yourself. And That's then wild. it was just like crazy. And then there, there were people like living in the woods and like in, in campsites trying to start this movement, but they also forgot that you can't really do that without any sort of communication. But I, it also seemed like they didn't care. That wasn't really yeah, it, their thing either. They saw themselves as like, like Jesus basically like, mm -hmm. like come follow me type thing. And and leave, leave all your your belongings, your life, everything, your money, family, everything. Leave and come with us. And uh, and they, they thought that that's uh, was how Jesus did it, and so that's how they're going to do it. Well, I think he claimed later 
Marshall Applewhite did because because Marshall Applewhite was kind of the one that sort of took Heaven's Gate and ran with it. Um, and we'll find out why in a minute. But he he later on in life he he basically talked about how Jesus was a real being that lived here on Earth, but he was actually like an interdimensional being or an alien. And so now, once Jesus died, the spirit of that alien left its bodily container or whatever, and it's now possessing the body of Marshall Applewhite. And so he's basically like a reincarnation of sorts of Jesus, essentially. Right. And, well, but, he, well, but he wouldn't call himself Jesus. It, it's interesting because Bonnie she eventually dies. And so their whole, yeah, their, whole their whole it's revelation cancer. thing kind of fell apart, and so he had to kind of uh, adjust the, the doctrine of their of their cult to fit her untimely passing of cancer, and so and so the, he almost elevated her to like a heavenly father thing while he was Jesus. Yeah, he started referring to her as a man, like male pronouns, like after she died. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Exactly. She died in like eighty five, eighty five, I think. Because in their in their whole view on on things like the anything humanly including sex is uh is below the next level that they were trying to get to and so like they would refer to their bodies as vehicles and and stuff like that so it's like so sex gender like everything human is like it should be shed and so that's what they were doing this for the 20 years is uh perfecting the trying to shed any human emotions attachments yeah. almost almost like almost like like a monastic lifestyle like very gnostic kind of very just yeah. like we're shedding all all passions all loves all thoughts and feeling you know everything and even starting to look alike so they'd cut their hair to very look very androgynous they'd wear kind of shapeless baggy clothes on mm-hmm. purpose to kind of be androgynous and during this time they're kind of traveling around they'd get a bunch of followers the followers would all leave and then like it was just very it's kind of it was almost like kind of haphazardly shoddily done <laughs> yeah. and i think it's because these people had probably something they were they probably had some sort of a something they were dealing with mentally some kind of mental <laughs> issue they're trying to overcome that was never diagnosed but they the, the, the name of their group changed several times during this period it started out as like human individual metamorphosis and then it was total overcomers anonymous and then it was some other thing and so eventually in like the early to mid 90s is when they settled on heaven's gate and that's when they started a website for heaven's gate which is still online you can still go to it right now and it and it looks the same as it did in yeah, 95 it's amazing time capsule it it's looks awesome, awesome. yeah <laughs> <laughs> one yeah. thing i will say i don't know who they got to make their logo for heaven's gate it is like an amazing i love that logo the Heaven's mm-hmm. Gate logo is is fire, and uh, yeah. would, you, well would you have been a Gator, uh, Heaven's Gator? Yeah, you know, you know, I feel like I would have been one of those who um, definitely would have showed up, and then like for the pizza or whatever, and then yeah, for the then Kool-Aid, for the Kool Aid, <laughs> yeah, for some free Kool Aid. But then uh, the thing that like that I didn't get about it, and this obviously it obviously explains it. Uh, when I was in when I was in high school, I remember we read a book called a day no pigs would die and it was um, a fictional it was a a novel about the shakers or like some of the last shakers in america of the shaker religion and i don't know if this is shakers or quakers but there was a religious movement where like they also forbid sex or they all the members of the movement had to have a vow of celibacy i guess it couldn't have been the shakers because the novel was about a family but yeah, it was it was it was Quakers. There's a certain Quakers. sect of Quakers. Okay, yeah, okay. I believe that. And so, like, well, yeah, I guess the the religious movement is going to die out if you can't reproduce. Okay, it's going to be really hard <laughs> to keep that going 
by just having, and this is the same exact problem that Heaven's Gate, I think, kind of had, which is, okay, uh, we want, you're going to overcome everything earthly, like everything. And we're talking like you can't eat even entertainment and you can't be enjoying food. You can't be enjoying even idle conversation was a thing that you have to overcome. So you're not really enjoying food. You're not doing drugs. Because a lot of times you associate cults with like sex or drug usage or something. I don't know. But there wasn't doing anything. So like, what are you doing all day in this? And so I'm guessing it's going to be really hard to keep uh, people interested. There for were, years there were a few of them that, that did. There were a few. That stayed with them all 20 years. Like did the whole thing from the beginning. Yeah. Which, Which is, is why I think it's, it's really such a fascinating thing. Like these are the the these twenty or thirty people who who did this for so so long. Yeah, I, I have but, a couple yeah. of theories about about yeah. these guys. Uh, one of them is that him being uh, like a closeted gay but but deeply religious man. I think that that's a lot of what's behind the whole shed your human like. Like any, any any pleasures that come with being a human, shed that cause, just because of the shame I think he had, and so he's forcing that on himself, but not on not only on himself, but but his followers as well. Yeah, well, and it's it's it seems like there was no rhyme or reason to how they did this because a lot of people with a cult that people think like, oh, I'm doing this intentionally. I am intentionally doing this to get money, get some chicks, whatever. I think these guys legitimately believe. I think so too. These things. Oh, yeah. At first, at and, first they and, did. Yeah, because they uh, they they like give us they give themselves like different names like like uh, he was Bo, she was Peep, and then like she was T, and he was something else, and then he was she was Pig, and he was Guinea, you know, and so they'd have all that these like weird one. yeah yeah Guinea and Pig yeah because they're like yeah Guinea and Pig yeah and then at the yeah. very end at the very end he would go by he wouldn't go by his name he'd go by Doe spelled D O but pronounced Doe. And there wasn't ever like a reason why, but then like he, they, they, their, their beliefs would change and fluctuate so that he would basically teach his followers that you had to be like mentally, like have mental fluidity to basically just believe anything he said the moment he said it. And you have to sever all your ties, all your friends and family and everything. So every, all of his followers became 100% dependent on him and Bonnie Nettles until 85 when Bonnie died and then just on him. And so it's like it, reading some of the stuff he would teach, it seems like he would just pull it out of who knows where mm-hmm. and just throw it out there as like a test and to see if his followers believed him. And, when, and at the end of it, there's like 39, 40 people that just would believe anything he said, would do anything for his approval, well, would do anything well, he asked, would wear the same clothes he'd wear. You, you know? know what's the genius thing, though, is part of their, um, of their belief system is that the, the actual act of believing them was a uh, proof that they were that they were being inhabited by the by whatever second level mm-hmm. being or whatever mm-hmm. and so the, the the reason why no one believes them or the reason why their parents or respectable people outside of the group don't believe it's simply because they they haven't been inhabited or they're not that they haven't been programmed to believe that and so the, the fact that they have the, an inkling of belief means that they were programmed to believe and and now it is their calling to follow this guy. So it's like, it's like this kind of circular thing where just because you found it interesting and it's, and it like kind of piqued some interest. Now, all of a sudden that means you're programmed to follow them and you are, you're blessed. You're like almost a prophet yourself because, because you, because you, you're following them. So it's like this, this circular thing, it, it's kind of a genius way to uh, to build a following, like a, a cult following, I think. Yeah. 
Well, it seemed like their their belief system would change and kind of fluctuate every day, but it all it always kind of came back to there's a level, there's a higher level. They didn't call it heaven. They called it a higher level. We're going to ascend to a higher level level. What, what, what did you call it earlier, Giordano? Level um, above human? What was it again? Yes, yes. Evolutionary level above human. Elah. Yeah. 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 And yeah. they have all these like capitalized things that are like, <laughs> they do that cult thing where it's like, they have these, these specific phrases that mean specific things. Um, and so it's like, repeat, yeah, it's, like repeat it's like programming. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, and like there's one time where he told all of his followers that they had to like pick new names, but they couldn't have any vowels in it and just like just weird stuff like that. But um, so the whole idea was ascending to a level above human and eventually it settled on that that this our bodies are possessed by some sort of an interdimensional being or an alien of sorts yeah. or a spirit alien or something. And these bodies are just containers and you need to shed these bodies to go up into the spaceship so you can become one with these aliens that are in this spaceship flying behind this comet Hale-Bopp and ascend to the next level above human, you know, their evolutionary level above human. So what this, I guess we should probably just like cut right to the chase, but <laughs> what this basically leads to is that um, in uh, 96, I believe, like the end of 1996, they, they'd kind of like tried other attempts before. They lived out in the middle of nowhere in, in New Mexico for a while and tried to start a commune out there. It didn't work, so they stopped. They moved to Rancho Santa Fe, California. Super ritzy area. It's like a suburb of San Diego. Very nice area. They bought this massive like 9,200 square foot house. They called it the monastery. And all these people, it's 39 people. So at this point, Bonnie Nettles has died. Marshall Applewhite is like in his 60s. He's having some health concerns. He's afraid that he might have cancer too, but he's not sure. He's also doing the normal cult thing of getting extremely paranoid because at this time, Waco has already happened. Ruby Ridge has happened. And so he's thinking the government's going to kill him. So he becomes uber paranoid as well. And um, I think they started so they, buying they, weapons or talked about buying weapons like because he was on internet forums and stuff. And, it, yeah. and they were talking well, that's about what's so crazy. Yeah. And that's what's so crazy about this is they, at this time they had a website and that's part of what their revenue was, is they had a business called Higher Source and they would basically do like web hosting and like building websites for people in the nineties, you know, but that's how they got a lot of their source of money. So they buy this, this 9,200 square foot house called the monastery in Rancho Santa Fe. They're paying in cash every month. And, um, they buy like alien abduction insurance. I don't know who they bought it from, but they bought it. And um, they they all are living in there like it's commune, but they're very secretive. No one really knows what they're doing or why. They kind of they kind of like close up the windows. You can't see inside. They don't really interact with anybody else. They're all there wearing their like androgynous look with the baggy clothes and everything. In in March of nineteen ninety seven, uh, it's March nineteenth through twentieth is what happened they all have like a party or something. And then in the middle of the day, they all record on a VHS tape. They record a video of all themselves saying their final goodbyes because they're going to extend, extend um, they're going to leave this human existence and, 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 you know, ascend to the, the next level. And it doesn't really say how, I don't even know if these people at the time knew what they were going to be doing, but Anyway, point being, they record a video where they're all talking to the camera, saying goodbye to their parents. Some of, and, and it, it looks like it's weird because some of them are crying. They're all laughing and giddy about it. They're really excited about it. They're they're looking longingly and lovingly at this this. Uh, they call him Doe, their leader, um, and they basically all record a, 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 their prepared speeches in the video. 
they leave it there in the house and then they all start committing basically a ritual suicide. And they all were wearing the exact same clothes, kind of these black pants, black shirt with a patch on the arm that said next level was a next level away team, right? It was the away team. Yes. Yeah. Which was, which, which was a, a, a on purpose reference to star Trek. Right. Yes. Um, and they had, they all wore, they all speaking of star Trek, he uses, he used star Trek a lot in his recruiting. Yeah. Apparently it was very common because he read a lot of sci-fi. He read, he read a lot of the Bible and a lot of sci-fi. <laughs> but so they're, they're, the, they're the next level away team. They had this patch. They had like the, the, the black coat, black pants, and they all wore Nike Decades, mm-hmm. like the Nike Decades shoes. And uh, the, I guess the reason why is because they got a good deal on them, but also because Doe, the leader, just really liked Nikes. And so they'd always, they're, 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 one, of their, one of their mottos was just do it. Instead of just do it like Nike, just, <laughs> just do it. Yes. And so, oh, yeah, it's just, it's, that is it's so, so weird. Yeah. But what they, what they all did, and there was, there was, there was 39 of them, women, men and women, they're all, they're all adults, um, including Marshall Applewhite himself. They all um, basically ingested uh, some like barbiturates. I think it's a luminol is what they call it. Luminol, which is used to treat um, like seizures in kids, I think is what they use it for nowadays. But they took basically like a fatal dosage and they mixed it with like applesauce or pudding and then washed down with vodka. Then they'd lay down on this bed or on a table and put a plastic bag over their head and like cinch it around the neck. So they would just basically asphyxiate and then just die. And they did it in like three groups. And so what would happen is like the first group of like 10 or 15 people or whatever would commit suicide this way. Then there'd be, then the, the people that were still alive would kind of prepare their bodies, move their bodies to a table, cover it with the same purple cloth and the same manner covering the top half of the body. And then um, they did that until the very last, um, the very last group committed suicide. One of the things they did before they committed suicide is they sent out all these like mailers to people like former members would get like this, a copy of the videotape. Um, the BBC, I think got a copy of the videotape and that's how these people were discovered is because one of their former members who had been a believing member for a time and then left and was living somewhere else, I think somewhere else in in like LA or something. Um, they sent him a copy of like their final will and Testament and he watched it and he basically like bummed a ride to Rancho Santa Fe, California, goes in the back door, which was left unlocked on purpose for him, sees all the dead bodies there. And then like two or three days later, calls in an, an anonymous tip to the, the police department and basically says, hey, I think it's been a mass suicide. <laughs> so the, 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 the cop gets there by himself, kicks the door open and sees all the dead bodies on the table, just all dead. And like come back and they come back like a day or so later with like the crime scene investigators and find out what happened. And, and in total 39 people had killed themselves. Oh, and these like people ranging from like their twenties all the way to this lady that was like in her like late seventies. So that's that. I mean, I, I probably skimmed over a lot of stuff. You guys may want to add some color to it, but that's basically what heaven's gate is. And they, um, the website is still going because there were two followers that didn't kill themselves that still apparently maintain the website to this day. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, interesting about that website is the, there's a bunch of links and I think the bottom one is an invitation to join them. Yeah. And, and so it, it was like a timed thing where it's like, it says, if you're reading this, we're already gone. But if you call out to, to what are the uh, tea and dough and, and, and basically, uh, shed your earthly existence, commit suicide, then then the, then that's like a it's like calling the spaceship to you, and the spaceship will come and pick you up. 
which people did, which people did do. So that it was 39 people it was 21 women, 18 men, including Marshall Applewhite. And only the last two people to commit suicide still had the bags on their heads. That's how they knew they did it with bags is because all the other ones, the people like took it off. But the reason I bring this up is because they, they release all these messages out like, Hey, you can follow us too. They had like, I think two or three followers that had fallen away that when they heard about this mass suicide, they also committed su- committed suicide in the same or similar manner. And then one guy like shot himself in the head. And then there was there was another guy who wasn't even affiliated with this cult at all. I'd never even heard of him. He just read about it on the news and he committed suicide just to kind of like join them. <laughs> having knowing knowing nothing about Heaven's Gate previously. That's wild. It's yeah, so- I didn't even know about that. It seems like there's just something there is something I powerful about the whole story are powerful enough to affect people i mean it affected me when i heard it and i had of course no belief in any of it necessarily but i was so moved i guess you could say by the power of people who took something so seriously that they would take their own lives because that's how much they believed in it and you could say other because if if you've read about jonestown and stuff there's other people who are tricked into it or they did it because of drugs or overdoses or something but this was like they didn't do that stuff so it just seems to be well these people they had 20 years to think about it and then they they finally sat down and did it so there's just something so striking about that yeah in the video but, before it's like they're it's like they're giddy about to go on to disneyland or something like that, that yeah. right it's like they're, yeah. they're nervous but giddy about it so it's like they obviously believed it yeah yeah it wasn't like um I don't know. It wasn't, they, they were really excited. They, and I think, I mean, my personal take on the whole thing is that uh, this is, and I don't know if this is getting off on a tangent, but the one portion of the Heaven's Gate stuff that I do not think has, people, has been very much examined is the influence actually of Star Trek and of sci-fi on these people. People have talked a lot about just Heaven's Gate, whether it's a cult or a New Age religion or something. But um, when I was a teenager, I recall, uh, I mean, we're all familiar with Trekkies uh, and the the phenomenon of of Trekkies, of people who are like obsessed with Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this, if it's as much of a thing today, although Star Trek is still extremely popular, but it's kind of different than it used to be. When I was in high school, I remember there was a documentary, one of the first documentaries I ever watched when I was just like a young teenager and it was called Trekkies. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a 90s indie documentary, just this camera crew going around and filming a bunch of basically weirdos, um, or people who were obsessed with Star Trek. And there would be like regular appearing people, but they would be obsessed with Star Trek, dressing up in, in Star Trek uniforms. I remember... Speak Klingon. Yes, right. They'd actually learned Klingon or Vulcan, um, there was like dentists who redid their entire uh, dentist office to look like it was on the Starship Enterprise, or people who like decked out their garages and stuff. And like, there's this is like pre, you know pre-internet or at least very early days of the internet. So these are people who are really obsessed with this stuff. Yeah, these 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 are guys that like got beat up for doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People who before it was cool. Yeah, yeah, before it was like acceptable to do this. They were like you know the people on the spectrum and like fully embracing the lifestyle. And my point is that I think Star Trek especially affects people in a way 
who people who want to believe in something, who maybe even have a Christian background, but for whatever reason, Christianity or modern Christianity just doesn't provide a lot of satisfying answers to things, whereas Star Trek provided like a real model of how people could live together and of a sort of a utopian world. And I really think it's also flashy, like literally flashy. Yes, that's right. Right. Because you get costumes and you get like special effects and cool. And it's like there's adventure and it's exciting and you get to go on a spaceship. Yeah, it's real and tangible. Yes, it's real. That's that's the main thing is is the reality and it's it's tangible. And that was the if you want to call it theology of Heaven's Gate that would set them apart from other religious movements and other forms of Christianity is that they believed that God and that Jesus were real physical beings and that the alien entities that were controlling them were not just of the spirit, but that they were actual alien beings. And and in fact, they said all of the stuff in the Bible about angels visiting the earth, none of that was metaphorical. That was all real. Although what we call angels were just extraterrestrial beings that lived on another distant star, which growing up as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, Latter-day Saints, already growing up and, you know, being called a cult or being called, you know, like an outsider religion, not part of the mainstream religion. Actually, yeah, I felt like I understood in some ways what they were talking about. Like like the reality of spiritual things, that they were, they were actually real. Anyway, all of this just to say, I actually think, yeah, the, the, the influence of Star Trek can't even be overestimated. They, and in the book that I read, and I didn't watch all of the exit videos, but um, I watched some of the exit videos uh, on YouTube. You can see that these people's videos that they formed. But there was like repeatedly quoting Star Trek or Star Trek The Next Generation. It was said in the compound they had a lot of uh, Star Trek um, movies, Star Trek VHSs. Their, one of their favorite movies was Stargate um, from the 90s. They loved watching the X-Files. And uh, what was the other one? Oh, Battlestar Galactica, I heard. The old one, because uh, from the 70s. So it's like all of this sci-fi stuff that was touching on, I don't know, matters of spiritual matters, things of deep importance, but that you wasn't, you know, if you go to a mainstream Christian stuff, they don't really Well, I, I think, I don't know if it's this one or another one. It's almost like a Jungian thing where it's like, we're only telling the stories that are in our blood basically. And so like the, the, the star Trek is just a, the next iteration of that. Like, um, because in the, in the Bible, they didn't have words for it. Like we do now, like, or they just use different words. Like they said, when Jesus was born, a new star appeared in the sky. They, they say that was a UFO and the, like we would say UFO, they say a new star. It's, it's the same thing. And so it's like, just things that are repeated over and over because because yeah like a like a Jungian uh just thing like that that is kind of beyond an individual telling the story it's it's like above that yes i i i think that that's and and for some reason this is these are a group of people who for whatever reason wanted to shed earthly attachments and i think that you were spot on with talking about if you have sexual sins or things that you feel extreme guilt and shame about, then maybe that would make sense that that's what I want to put away from myself. It's like, I don't want, I want nothing to do with sexual desire and I I want to overcome that completely. And so that's what they, I think that it attracted people who 
wanted to overcome that sort of physical or bodily desire for things. And that was like the, their main concern of their life. And so that's why there was such a relief at the end where they're like, well, we can finally leave. We can get rid of it mm-hmm. and not have to worry about it anymore. And in some ways, and this is, you know, getting into LDS doctrine, but one thing that they repeatedly taught was about their, when they go to the next level, Applewhite taught that next level bodies were are genderless bodies. They're pleasant looking. They're they're eternal and they're perfect, but they don't reproduce. And I mean, not to get off on on LDS beliefs and stuff, but they're actually that is not far off from what what and not just LDS, but other Christian beliefs about angels, about um about what life is like in paradise. Is that not everyone? Um, when you have that resurrected, perfected form, you kind of become genderless and, you know, yeah. you're, you're without, not genderless necessarily, but you're, you don't reproduce and you don't, uh, you're not married or you're not given in marriage. Right. So and to, like, to, yeah. to give these people the benefit of the doubt, it's almost like, like I said, the Bible had different words for what they're explaining now. And this is just more high fidelity, right? Like they're like, like you said, vaguely Christians believe that, that when you go to heaven, like you're, you I don't know if you're resurrected or whatever, but you, you don't really procreate. So it's like you probably that there's no sex in heaven type thing. It is a, is a pretty general Christian thing. Um, and so it wouldn't be heaven then, would it? Yeah, no, no you're right. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I derailed um, the conversation. But, but uh, yeah, yeah. The, what, how they describe it is, is just more high fidelity. Like, like they're describing it like it's real. And so it, it makes it more, sci-fi and so they so they're pulling from the from the star treks and the stargates and wh- whatever that, like because that's that's the reference that they have at the time so so th- that's giving them the benefit of the doubt i suppose mm-hmm. well i had the same thought you guys did where it's like it seems like at least with marshall applewhite that he's trying to overcome this cognitive dissonance like hey i've been struggling with this i know it's wrong in my own mind and the, the the this solution that he came up with was just what his brain came up with. Yeah, right? there's like, a pretty oh, I, clear through line to that, I think. Yeah, yeah. It just took a while, but he, he got to it. But um, well, we've been going for a while now. Should we get to the lyrics? <laughs> we talk about the actual song itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was a lot of background. So, um, but I think I think it's that's a pretty good like intro, at least to to Heaven's Gate. Um, mm-hmm. They've kind of fallen into obscurity, I think. I mean, our, I think our generation remembers them because we were alive and maybe like our parents' generation, but the younger kids, it's like, it's like people now who don't even, who know very little about 9-11, you know, same kind of thing. And this is even more obscure. This is way more obscure than that. So, mm-hmm. um, but should you, are you guys cool if we start going through the lyrics and yeah, just kind of the lyrics. pick out anything that we like? So, um, Giordano, since you're the guest of honor, do you want to kind of start off and just, we'll kind of go just sort of verse by verse? Of course. Yeah. I have them in front of me here. Starts off uh, a brand new heart for your counterpart you imagined life before they walked into the dark and uh i think the the, like the the singer or the narrator is just sort of explaining he's singing about someone who's joined heaven's gate and he's talking about the transformation that the person makes from when they initially joined to like fully being uh converted into the the heaven's gate way Although, you know, a brand new heart uh, for your counterpart, that would be like the counterpart to, I, I assume, to the, the self. So like you have your, your regular self, but then you have like sort of your, your dark side, your, your, um, your heaven's gate side. Yeah, and, I, thought, uh, I thought that was the, the, uh, 
whatever the international inter whatever that the, the, oh, yes. uh-huh. that, that, that when you start believing you kind of take on a second level being type thing which uh, they refer to as um walk-ins yeah. or uh, the, the concept of a walk-in which is like a, an interdimensional alien that can sort of enter your body and sort of mm-hmm. take you over which again it's like you know is are, are you guys just talking about demons here or um that, yeah what it seems like <laughs> Well, I thought there was also a point where he basically said, well, the soul, as we understand it, isn't actually a spirit. It's an alien that's, a, that's, that's just mm. occupying your body. So when you have those like spiritual experiences or your consciousness talking to you, that's the alien talking to you. And that's kind of what it made me think of is like your counterpart is like, well, that's your right. The ca- your alien, I mean, your there's, alien self. there's also the, the positive side of it, too, which could be the, you know, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit communicating to you or angels trying yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, that, that's their argument is that the the aliens inhabiting their body were the good ones or, yeah. or the, the 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 uh the evolution, the, the next step of the evolution. If you believed and were part of this group, that means circularly that you have a evolutionary superior alien in your body. Which I want right, because know, the, the, I had in my notes that one of the on one of the exit videos, one of the guys actually mentions Mormonism, where he said because he was he was making this exact same distinction. He was saying, you know, a lot of people out there say that they have alien encounters. Just because you've had an alien encounter doesn't mean you necessarily had an, an encounter with a good alien, because there's bad ones out there. And then, as his example, he cited Joseph Smith, which he called John Smith. But he said, uh, John Smith, the founder of the Mormon religion, you know, yeah, he had alien encounters too, but he was, you know, deceived by the bad aliens. So it's like they knew, like they, they had all of this was part of their little theology as well. That's what I, that's what I was going to say is because um, Doe, Marshall Applewhite, that was one thing he talked about is, well, there's there's good aliens and bad aliens. I'm telling you about the good ones. The bad ones are out there. And he always referred to them as Luciferian, mm-hmm. like Luciferianism, Luciferian aliens. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's... Yeah, he, he's saving everyone from the bad aliens, I guess. Yep, just, he, like, um, he's just like Jesus. Yeah, from the bad aliens. Because <laughs> yeah, he, he is. He yeah, is, that, he that's, is that's, he that's something to keep in mind with all of this is that he literally saw himself as Jesus. So it's like yeah. when you say like he, he would like tell him one thing and then change his mind and stuff. He's like, like the, like the people that followed Jesus followed him, right? And so that's what he literally thought himself as a deity. He's like, I'm allowed to do this because that's who I am. Mm-hmm. Um. For in the lyrics, that was the, the, the second line that I have which says, an alternate life slowly rides the line and all it takes is watering at night. And uh, again, that's kind of like just you you live your everyday life, but then when you sort of start exploring this alternate life of the cult or the new religious movement or whatever you would like to call it, um, you start to sort of transform it. All it takes is watering at night. All I just assume that means is uh, feeding it. And like at night when you're, I don't know if it means something that happens when you're asleep or in your dreams, but something that is cultivating your your beliefs and your your change into this like new, this new life and new person. The line that I found something kind of interesting, and this line gets repeated throughout the song. He says, wait to climb aboard, uh, which reference to the, spacecraft that was coming on the tale of Hellbop. And then it says destruction to a T. And then What's he rhymes that with shattering responsibility. And when he says destruction to a T, it was not until I was getting ready for this podcast that I realized that I actually think that was a double entendre mm-hmm. where he's talking about destruction to a T 
meaning you know the the phrase, but also T and Do were the names of the two leaders, and destruction to a T was kind of like a veiled reference to T, the yeah. the leader that Bonnie uh, nettles. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> used my English teacher skills there. <laughs> there you go. Go to school, kids. It pays off. Look, you can have a podcast. Bucks, okay. That's why I make the big bucks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, awesome. I that's I, I, I like I like those thoughts, uh, Giordano. I, I, I kinda had the same the same sort of vibe from reading those as well. The destruction to a T, I don't know if I if I caught the the um, implication of dough and T there, but that definitely makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So should we keep going? Yeah. Scott, you got, okay. So it's, um, sometimes it's easier said than done. And then the next uh, line is eternal life from earthly vacation. A burning knife won't cut you out of ice cold persuasion. Now I I read through these several times and I'm kind of drawing a blank on a lot of them, but if you guys have any (laughs) thoughts you want to call out on any of these, this is the thing. Okay. So I was reading that book, the, the heaven's gate book and this part, like actually made me laugh out loud. So the guy goes for like 200 pages talking about heaven's gate and going off on critical theory and academic stuff. And then like at the very end, he just tosses in this line so casually. And Oh, by the way, uh, the male members of heaven's gate before they committed suicide, they went and got castrated. Yep. They they castrated themselves (laughs) in Mexico (laughs) city or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, that was kind of a big thing. Like maybe you should have, spent more than a line on that you spent like 20 pages on this other stuff but they got they castrated themselves and from what i read they attempted a castration of the male members in the compound but it was like a nurse it was like one of of them was a nurse that tried it. oh yeah okay yeah and and it was botched and so they like had to go to the hospital I, i actually and this is the thing the the book that i read did not give any information i don't know you can just walk in and in 1997 and just ask to be castrated maybe in california but no, you can the, say, okay, the, from from the thing that i read or listened to they uh they went to mexico city or something to do it so, so they, oh, they yeah. went, well, they because, went. because because of the botched one they had to go to mexico to get it done they found a doctor in mexico to do it see i did not want this is the thing that like, i was actually terrified to be googling uh, anything about castration so i was like scared to so i, didn't I want don't want to see that <laughs> yeah i don't want to see it so the, okay so that line where he says a burning knife won't cut you out of ice cold persuasion I just took that to mean like a veiled reference to the castration part. Mm-hmm. We're like, even even a knife is not going to cut you out of the persuasion of of uh, dough, uh, you know, of tea and dough. So like, you're so there that we can even put you under the knife and you'll still go along with this. Got wow. it. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Good call. Good call. Yeah. Well, it, it, go, it goes on. There's plenty of verses here, so we can kind of they kind of repeat. Second, but... They they repeat themselves. I think. Yeah. 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 And it, it goes it goes on to um, you accepted the ride with the exception of life. You might find yourself in love with deception and lies. Mm-hmm. That seems um, pretty. Like yeah, you accepted the ride with the exception of life. It's like you'll take the ride, um, but you don't get to have life. So, and I don't know. It's just it seems pretty. It's just like a poetic way of saying that, yeah, these people were willing to give up their own lives for what the narrator is basically saying, deception and lies. Although I don't know if that's necessarily proven. Um, They did. It's like the guys, I don't know if they were being necessarily, well, I don't know if they were being deceived by T and Doe. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I think they believed it. Like, yeah, I don't really believe that they went into a UFO, but 
did, but I think that they believed it. So I don't know. Yeah, I kind yeah. of have and, a. Uh, Sorry, go. No, go ahead. I, I kind of have a theory a little bit that I don't necessarily think Doe believed it in the end. I think he was just trying to get out. Oh yeah, um, he was just being so yeah. over his head and like yeah. I'm done with this. And and he was like, I mean, basically living a life for a long time. He uh, chopped off his dick. He <laughs> um, he he, he had been. He, I think he figured out he'd been leading all these people to this weird thing in the um. In the the podcast that I was listening to, the daughter of T had been getting letters and stuff from her mom the whole time, which was kind of a no no. And she was sending her money. And uh, and and after T died, Doe like a year or two later sent her an audio message, and like they just play it for you on the podcast. And and he's like super frazzled. He's not this confident dude that that is leading a cult. Like he's he's like super. It's like it's like he's he's trying to back out of it almost but then he doubles down and then also in one of the letters that the mom sends her t sends the daughter was she she told her to um conform to society at all costs basically so <laughs> so she's like it's like don't it's like they didn't believe it almost mm-hmm. but but they were too but they were too deep to, to do anything about it yeah, because I've seen a lot of stuff like right when this happened, there were because the, the part of the reason why this is so notable is because the media just took this and ran with it for like for like that whole year. Um, was, this stuff was all over the news and all kinds of people were trying to shoehorn stuff like gay rights. People were trying to say that all this was caused because of the per- persecution of gay people and Marshall Applewhite was gay and he couldn't express himself as a gay man. And so that's why he did all this is because it was a result of, of, of homophobia basically. And other people were basically trying to say like, Oh no, these guys, um, Doe and T it was all lies. They knew they were lying to people and they were just deceiving everyone on purpose just to get power or whatever. But I don't know, the more I read about it, the more I'm like, you know what? I think they at least half believed all of it, at, at least, you know, or maybe just believed the whole thing. Because in the end, the guy still killed himself. Well, well, I think he killed I mean, himself just out of just like he wanted to kill himself. Um, you know, because yeah. he, he changed his theology. Like, like they were the they were the two right at the beginning. They were the, they were they were from the book of Revelation, and then by the end, they were deities. Like, like I I, I don't think. I, I, they were making it up as they went. Like at well, first, they were pretty confident, but I, don't I think know. there's a there's a lot to say for the castration part because I mean, not to I don't know, but when you look at suicide rates of people who have uh, the of, of of transgender post op stuff, and like when you do that to yourself, you make that permanent alteration to your body. Now I know that the women there was a lot of women who committed suicide too and who didn't get castrated but anyway i don't know if there's some sort of link there between like oh wow i just did this to myself there's no turning back and uh what have i done and like i just have to fully embrace it like you were kind of saying so i don't know i don't know if there's a yeah. connection there or not but that i, yeah, I would like I, I was not okay and i just wanted i forgot to add this one thing the actress nichelle nichols <laughs> from Star Trek who played Uhura yeah. on the original yeah. Star Trek. Her brother was one who joined the cult and who was one of the 39 who committed suicide. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know and that. Like, I, the, yeah, so like that is also the another Star Trek connection, which is just weird. Yeah. Yeah, there's just it's no, it's okay. There's so many weird things like the other thing is they uh 
they all died with $5 and 75 cents in their pocket, a $5 bill and a roll of quarters because they carried that with them everywhere. Like in case they had to make a call from a payphone and just, there's so many weird, like little like ritualistic little things. Yeah. They would do. They, when they were all, you mentioned they were all dressed the same. And I remember one of the things when I saw the reports when I was 16 or 15 and I saw them, they all had um, chopped their hair off Mm -hmm. and, they, uh, people were saying, I remember even at the time that they were trying to appear genderless and, uh, featureless or like, you know, without gender, but someone said in like a YouTube comment that I saw when I was watching the exit videos, they're like, Oh, LOL. I could never join this cult because I could never give myself that Vulcan haircut. And I thought to myself, wait a second, were they actually trying to look like Vulcans like Mr. Spock? Cause like they all have the same haircut. In, yeah, in with like the bangs going straight yeah, across. Yeah, and that's that. kind of yeah. how they look. And I wondered if they had actually stumbled onto something that they didn't even realize what they were doing. But it's just so like, like it was a subconscious thing to yeah. cut their hair like like a trick. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they never gave a reason for any of it. Or if they had a reason, it died with them because they didn't explain. That's wild. I hadn't thought about that, but that would definitely make sense. Is like, oh, it's genderless, but also it's kind of like Spock, so it's cool. It's kind of like, yeah, so it's okay. And, and, and it fits it fits with the theology, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, do you want do you want to take the next couple of verses, Scott? It starts with an uncon, un, an unconventional mind. Yeah, an unconventional mind was your ticket to ride. You may have found your dot in the sky. Um, and again, that the, the unconventional mind is kind of referring to that they were higher beings in in their particular minds because they believed, and so that was their ticket. They never heard from you. Okay, sorry. They never heard from you, and it became a concern. You were gradually conditioned with nowhere to return because they force you to cut ties basically. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Although apparently there, there was like once or twice during this whole process where Doe was like, you know what? Call your parents for one day. You can call your parents and just tell them that you are working on computers at a monastery. That's literally one of the, one of the excuses he told his followers to give. And so it's, it's, and that's kind of why they did this video in the first place was literally a final goodbye to all their friends and family. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was I just I can't imagine home on uh, Christmas. For, yeah, like as a missionary. Well, at least when <laughs> I started, that, you got a you got a phone call home on Christmas and and Mother's Day. Yep. Yep. Same here. Yep, yeah. Same. Yeah. And lived a life of poverty. Although I would not say we were yeah. genderless, but we lived a life of uh, celibacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I didn't uh, castrate myself though. But you know, <laughs> thankfully that wasn't a requirement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. You're going to need that later, so. <laughs> Yo, we'll let you keep it. <laughs> All right. Um, let's continue going down the lyrics. Okay. It's, uh, you went to climb aboard, construction to a T, shattering responsibilities, right. and then it does the eternal life, earthly vacation, burning knife. Mm. This kind of seems like it just kind of repeats from there. Yeah. You're right. It does. It just repeats the the same lines over and over again until the end. So of the I song. could see, like, if you didn't know anything about Heaven's Gate, you're like, "What? Okay, cool. It's just like some weird, you know, dark synth rock mm-hmm. or something." Yeah. Well, and and you and you know, being a pretentious radio guy, Giovanni, <laughs> if you if you have to ask, you don't get it. <laughs> you know, so that's exactly it. So oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you ask. don't know about Heaven's Gate? Oh, okay. It's called, it's called Art Scott. Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. Going back to the music thing. Um, I'm a fan of, uh, I really like this band, Porcupine Tree, and they're kind of like a prog rock band uh, that was uh, active in the early 2000s. They have uh, an album called Lightbulb Sun, 
And there's a track on the album that I've always liked. And at the, the second half of that track is just like this voice of this guy talking. And he's talking about um, the evolutionary level above human and what it means to ascend to that to that level. And you have to leave behind all human attachments. And it's just like them jamming out while you hear like this recording of this guy talking. And and this is like kind of the early or pre-internet days. I always just thought like, whoa, that was just some weird guy talking. I don't know who that is. And then I think one day I actually Googled it and I found a transcript. Oh, it was Marshall Applewhite from his exit video, or not his exit video, from one of his videos, they played a transcript of him talking. And one of the things he repeatedly says is, uh, this is your last chance to leave planet Earth before it is recycled. And in fact, that's the name of the track by Porcupine Tree, last chance to leave planet Earth before it is recycled. And so I'm like, okay, that's a bizarre, weird thing. Then, okay, so fast, flash forward years later, listening to the demonstration by um, Drab Majesty, but one of the tracks, they use the very peculiar word of recycled. And it says, you said you would be recycled. And they repeat that line a few times. And it just like sent off this thing in my brain. I was like, that's weird. Because you don't hear the word, you said you would be recycled. That's weird. So I looked into it and I'm like, oh, this is actually an album about the freaking guys, the Heaven's Gate people. So I that was, was crazy. That's how I, that's how I made that weird connection. I wonder how I wonder how many songs and albums are out there that are about this this freaking group because apparently there's like they're just right. I think I think there actually are there probably are more. I'm not aware of them, but I know they're out there. Yeah. Well, well, it's definitely interesting. Like, like it's it's worth like writing songs about. I think if you're gonna write a song about some something like this is a an interesting thing. Why not? Why not mass suicide? Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Metal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was talking about the mass castration. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. okay my bad I'm a little <laughs> yeah um well and apparently like not long after this like nike took off the nike decades off the market and no one really knows why and so because of that because of because of this in, uh, incident and the fact that they're not on the market anymore nike decades have like a huge resale value now on the market <laughs> like they're they're really hard to come by amazing i would love a pair yeah. myself after this this is so cool in fact i saw i was I Googled and I saw that they, I saw uh, replicas of their actual patches that they had made of Heaven's Gate away team. Again, super cool design. It's like whoever they had graphic design wise, it was, was, was doing a great job, but like, I really actually want to get one of those or like a laptop sticker or something. Cause it's just so cool looking. They well, had like, a very unique sense of style. Yeah. Like the, these people that started it and the people that recruited probably, while they're crazy, like they, they have, they obviously have some, some like screw loose or something. They, uh, they're geniuses. Like they, the, they have absolute insane minds. Like, like you talk about the, the, one of the videos from that, from that one song, like they pulled some audio from one of the videos he has like instructional videos and recruitment videos and stuff that are like 13 hours long, like, like, like where he's literally teaching for that long. Like it, whether he believed it or not, he, he obviously believed it for a long time. And so to, to have that much to say and that much organized, like they had it all figured out, whatever they had figured out what it was complete. They had all the dots kind of put together mm-hmm. in their own minds. And so it's like this, this interesting peek into like someone else's alternate reality, almost in their brain. It's weird. 
Because I feel like if you've ever had a conversation or like if you've ever had to go listen to uh, like a homeless person who is schizophrenic or something who comes up and starts rambling to you, you you can tell within about 10 seconds that like, oh, I'm talking to an insane person. And what they're saying is just sort of nonsensical ramblings. But yet this guy, yeah. But how did people, because I I actually have listened, I, I watched some of the videos on YouTube that were posted of this guy and. Although I wouldn't say it was anything like, I don't know, earth shattering, but he still had something like he had made a complete enclosed system that he believed himself to be a part of. And so it made sense to them. Yeah. 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 They, like, yeah. They, they, uh, they knew the Bible. Like, like, like yeah. so it's not, it's not like they were just like vaguely referencing like things that they heard about what was in the Bible. Like they, they knew the doctrines in the Bible and they made it fit into their system. At least selectively, but yeah, they, they they definitely it definitely made sense to them, and they weren't dumb. They they weren't idiots. Yeah, well, they they consider this time here as like a school. Like that's what their videos would say is like, oh, we finished this class, and yeah. now we're going to go to graduation, which is death. And it's just it's such a yeah. And what, what's also interesting about this is cults have been around for a while. I think this is one of the first major ones to make the news where they actually actively recruited people online. It's the 90s, mm-hmm. but they're still recruiting people using a website, which was very new for the time. Yeah. And, and it's just funny. The website is still going and still looks exactly the same as it did. So good. You can read a lot. Like that, that's where I learned a lot about their, their doctrines and like their, their actual theology, which it's, it's fascinating. That like, because there, there are, like, like you mentioned, Giordano, like there are some – you, some of the unique things about it are also unique about the LDS theology and in our in our doctrines. Like they, they totally missed the boat, but it's mm-hmm. like they were close to it at one point. Like like they, they got close to to uh, LDS. Yeah, like they, they picked up on stuff that was maybe missing from every other tradition, and that's where yeah. Whenever they whenever a group does that, they kind of hit close to, to truth or close to eternal truths that. Like if, if, if no one else is giving it, if no one else is teaching it, then like someone will eventually figure it out. I, I, I feel like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although perhaps not in the whole, I feel like cults in general were a much bigger thing in the nineties, at least for me, when I was in high school, I had a, I took a class in psychology and I had this teacher, Mrs. Haddock. Um, and I loved her. She was a, an older woman who taught the psychology class. I don't know what, I mean, I guess I can see why cults are related to psychology, but I remember she spent like half the class teaching us about cults or warning us to not join a cult. Like, she was so <laughs> worried about us joining cults. Like, and they were, careful, they're out there. Yeah, I know. It was like there's like a huge, you know, the, it's like that meme. The uh, the uh, I thought I thought quicksand was going to be a bigger problem in my life. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like for I me, cults were going to be a bigger. I problem thought cults now. were going to be like a bigger issue. Like people are going to be actively recruiting me. And- I think we didn't. They didn't realize how much the internet would just make everyone so jaded and cynical. Like yeah, no, it, no, it, no, it, it had the opposite yeah. effect. Yes, couldn't have foreseen it. Well, I I remember that. It's funny you you brought that up, uh, Jordano, because I had the exact same thought. I was like, where are these things now? Why aren't they happening now? Because you're right. In the '90s. Like it was like everyone's like fascination when you were like 15 is like, dude, you hear about this cult. They believe this, this, and this. No way. You heard about that one where they all drank Kool-Aid and died. You know, like mm-hmm. yeah, just, yeah. that was like a fascination. And now like I'm sure cults exist, but you think with the internet and like with the 24-7 media cycle that we have that 
we'd be hearing about this kind of stuff at least more frequently. And I never hear about things like this ever. And I haven't since the nineties. Well, no, you know, no. it's almost like they died out. Yeah. No, yeah. the only people being called cults are us. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Basically. Which is why you have to embrace the cults and I'd be like, yeah, I love cults. Cults. Yeah. Rock. They're cool. They're, yeah, they're based. Cults are cool. They're based. I feel like, um, yeah, online secretive online communities have, I don't know if they've taken the place of cults, but, they kind of fill that that niche of like a, a closed enclosed system that only certain people can be a part of. It's kind of like been replaced with I don't know online stuff maybe. But yeah, yeah you don't really hear about it. And people, I mean, it's people don't take things. Uh, pe- do people believe things as seriously? Well, I people guess, believe. I guess you can uh, say. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I should. The bran- <laughs> branch Covidians is what they call it, right? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. We just have. Serious extreme beliefs, but for maybe uh, non-religious things or uh, political things, which get treated as religion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. we just replaced it with something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or like really, we're really like pro-Ukraine or something. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. That is their religion. It is a sort of a cult in a way, but cults—they're trying to be like exclusive, and they don't like you. You have like they don't care whether or not you necessarily want to join, and the this new cult is is the opposite and like you have to be a part of them yeah yeah so it's different in that way but yeah, yeah. so we've been going for a a while yeah. scott should we uh <laughs> should we start start to wrap it up yeah, yeah. I, I think so. like, uh, closing thoughts or anything i can that, that you guys do or yeah well i was yeah so i was the the only thing i was going to bring up which you already brought up mm. uh giordano is that like there's a semi-famous person that that was that died they killed themselves and it's Nichelle Nichols's brother so Lieutenant Uhura from Star Trek her brother died in this in this suicide thing you know these 39 people killed themselves and yeah it's just everything about this is just kind of blows my mind because I'm thinking like what what would I do in this situation you know because I've been called I've been called a member of a, of a cult my whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, and it is interesting as a Latter-day Saint reading through what this guy teaches and go, you know what? He's he's touching on some bits, some nuggets of truth there, mm-hmm. but but they're they're distorted, they're skewed, right? Because he doesn't have there's certain things he's missing, as we know. And and it's just it's amazing to me that even with a distorted version of the a distorted cloudy version of the truth, he was still able to garner some followers who who sense the truth and what these people are teaching them. Yeah. That, However wacky it might have been. That a Star Trek UFO religion held more meaning for them than actual, the, the, the emptiness, the desolateness of, of modern Protestant or modern Christian beliefs. And, and, and not only more meaning, but enough meaning, meaning to leave your family and eventually kill yourself. Like, <laughs> yeah. like that, that, that's, that's a lot of meaning. That, that's not just like, oh, I'm going to... Ch- change what church i go to on sundays like it's that's a big deal now i'm gonna castrate myself and kill myself yes it demanded a lot of people this is like goes to teachings that we have too but it it, because it demanded a lot of people like it it won't accomplish anything unless you demand your religious beliefs it can't accomplish anything unless you demand things of people if you have no demands if you're like yeah go ahead get get drunk get high sleep with a lot of people whatever yeah, you can't really demand anything of them because the, that and everyone does that. That's that's nothing. That's not a religious belief. So when you say no, you have to cast off everything of earthliness, of everything of humanity, 
um, then the yeah, it's like these are people who are dedicated. Yeah, and that's not far off to what Jesus taught in the New yeah. Testament. Like, like there, there are stories in the in the New Testament that that he requires that of that almost exact exact same thing of people. And so I think forsaking your family and stuff. Well, yeah, and, and giving away all of your riches and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right in that if a religion wants to continue they need to demand demand stuff of their of their uh, followers yeah and I, I feel like that's one of the staples of the lds religion is is it's a to be an active member of the lds church you have to you have to give a lot of of your time your money yourself and so it yeah yeah it's by today's standards by today's standards it's demanding yeah yeah, yeah by today's standards for sure, for sure. yeah so that's awesome. Well, hey, I think it's been very informative. Giordano, we really appreciate you coming on, man. And um, with the last few minutes that we have, is there where, where can people connect with you, find you? Do you have anything that you'd like to plug on the podcast? I will plug. You can uh, find the fantastic debut novel, The Mamba Wizard, Breakfast is Served, available in ebook and paperback on Amazon. Forthcoming this year, hopefully, uh, Audible will carry the audiobook. But until then, just check me out on Amazon. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm uh, Giordano Lives. Giordano well, underscore Lives. Is there a audiobook out there? The forthcoming. Oh, forthcoming. Sure. Well, I got to say, you definitely have a voice for radio. You should. You, should, <laughs> you, you could. You could definitely uh, record the audiobook with your own voice, and it would be well, thank you, thank really you. good. I'll have to just do the Italian on. one too, man. Yeah, Might that's well. true. I got to translate this. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. All your the Mambo Wizard yeah. is actually a work of translation, which uh, you know <laughs> it's, it states that in the foreword. It is actually a translation work, but yes. So retranslate, oh, okay. yeah, translate it again. Yeah, it to Italian, yeah, yeah and, and and have <laughs> Nim, Nim translate it to German. You, you yeah, there you go. yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have all these connections. Yeah, yeah. I'll do Portuguese. No, perfect for the Brazilian market. The Brazilian market. That's Brazilian right. Sci-fi. Un- untapped. Fantasy. Untapped. Yeah. Seriously. That's just waiting. <laughs> so awesome, man. All right. Well, when we'll, we'll put all that and a link to all that stuff in the show notes as well. Awesome. Um, but yeah, so thanks for coming on, man. That's awesome. So check out Giordano's book, follow him on Twitter. He's also a good, uh, a good resource for uh, movie reviews. Oh yes. And uh, thoughts on movies. That's my movie autism. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but other than that, I think I think we got a, a, had a, a good a good show here to wrap it up. Scott, do you have anything else you wanted to that, add or throw in there? That's it. All right. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, we'll let the song play us out. Cool. Had a blast.